plus God. I thank you guys for being here. And uh, what I have is a little different than what I usually do, which is interesting that uh, I'm going in kind of this direction, but I have a lot of information. Hopefully it doesn't seem like too much. Sometimes I feel like I get carried away with what I'm saying, but hopefully it all gels together and you guys will walk away with something. You'll walk away with uh, hopefully a deeper understanding of some scriptures that I think we all read and uh, know, but I think we have missed some of it in our application. Uh, it's very practical what I'm gonna talk about today. So it's something you can, we are supposed to really apply to our life, not in theory, but in practice. Uh, so I've been thinking like really about how have we faltered in our relationship with God? And what are the areas that we don't look into? What are the areas that we kind of skip over and have not paid any attention to? Um, so much, you know, I always come from a self-analytical view of us going deep inside to look and see where we are, to see why we do what we do and all of that. Um, this time, like I said before, I'm gonna kinda broaden it a little bit and see it maybe from the outside instead of just looking inside. And though I do believe that, at least for me, the process that God has taken me through, which you guys have graciously come along with me um, in this search for finding who we are supposed to be in God and changing our, making sure I should say that our foundation is built on love and built on the definitions of what the gospel message really was and not getting it twisted when anything else, I think it was very, very necessary. And I think that God builds upon what he lays. And sometimes what you get now versus what you had five years from now, is just a building block that he does. And you wouldn't be able to receive some things five years ago that you can receive today. So all in God's time, and that's how we have to look at it. Uh, we don't really want to ever jump before God and try to get someplace that we're not and try to be who we're not yet. So we wanna make sure that we're moving in God's steps and what God is giving us so that we don't falter and so that it is authentic and it is true to what God wants us to do. Um, as you know, my, my basis and I feel like our foundation is love and if we don't have love, something is wrong. Our relationship with God will never be right until we really, really get and comprehend and understand the depth of God's love. Um, Hosea 11 and four, he says, I drew them to me with affection and love. I picked them up and held them to my cheek. I bent down to them and I fed them. That's so lovely, so beautiful, the way he really feels about us, the way he sees us, that he's not out to get us, but he's picking us up and holding them to our cheek and making sure that we are fed. We just have to make sure we're eating what God gives us and throwing out the rest. Uh, we can only be effective through love. Love must be the foundation. Love must be what constrains us. Love must be what motivates us. 
Love must be known beyond all else. And until I can fully comprehend, know, understand the magnitude of God's love, I will always be shaky. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with the process of understanding God's love. Like we want to oftentimes jump in and say, I love God and I know God loves me. But for us, because we're just humans that are messed up oftentimes, <laughs> um, many of us must test the love to see if it's real. And this is the same thing what we do with God. I must see if I hurt you, will you still love me? If I disappoint you, will you still stay? If I disobey you, will you love me and keep me? Will you still want me when I know I'm not all that you want me to be? And sometimes in our walk with God, we go back and forth. We don't know where we're going. We mess up. We fall down. We get back up. But a lot of times it's just a testing of God's love that we can't quite articulate what we're doing. So we beat ourselves up for it instead of letting God teach us through the process. When the truth becomes our reality of how much we are loved, then we can become true witnesses. The problem is we're proclaiming we're a witness when we haven't really witnessed the most profound thing he had to offer, which was love. Yes. So my heart will become fixed. My heart will become whole when I'm able to know this truth. And not until then will I become whole. It takes love to mend me. It takes love to put me back to where I need to be. It takes love to change me. Love is the biggest component that we have. We can never, ever underestimate it or push it aside or act like it's not the biggest thing there is. Because he is love. He, that is the essence of who he is. And when we miss that, we miss it all. And then I'll be able to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. But I've got to let him love me first because I don't know how to love him. We don't, we're incapable of loving God until he teaches us how he loves us. So I don't love God when I come to church at first. I don't love him when I first get saved. I want to say I do, but I don't love you because I don't know you. And we feel bad for saying, I don't love God, because we're sitting up here singing, we're chanting it, we're doing all these other kind of things of love God. I don't love you, God. And I'll confess that I don't love you, but I'm begging you to teach me how to love you. And if we could start that way, it would look so different. So no matter what stage of the game you're in, no matter how long you've been in this, if you recognize and are able to confess to yourself, I don't really know how to love God. I don't know what that's about. He can then come in and say, well, let me show you. But it's a humbleness that has to take place to say, God, I've been in here for 10 years and I have yet to figure out how to love you. Humbleness. But your relationship with God will become profound when you're able to start there. And trust God to do the work. Trust God to give you the love, to help you comprehend the love. Don't try to do it on your own because you can't do it. 
And I say like Paul in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, where he prayed that we may all come to know, understand, and experience how long, how wide, how deep, and how high God's love really is. He says, and then we will have this understanding. We'll be able to become full of God himself. Full of God. We have the ability to become full of God, that every part of our body, every part of our character, every part of our heart and our desire will be full of God. It almost doesn't seem real, because we know how jacked up we really are and how unfull of God we really are. So it's like, how can we become full of God? Man. I think this is why Christianity has gone so awful in so many different aspects, because we have missed the love aspect. We say it, right? It feels good to say it. It feels good to talk about it, sing about it. But to know it is a very different thing. God doesn't want us to have a belief of love. He wants to to know love. So do you know God's love? Have you let it penetrate your very essence? Then we can go forth and we would be united. It's the love that unites us. It's not our beliefs. It's not, it's the love that brings unification. But we haven't let God love us. We haven't let God heal us. We haven't let God transform us. We're just jumping in the pot too fast. We don't sit there and let it simmer. We got to simmer. Just simmer in the pot. Don't get out too fast. You're not ready. We didn't jump out too fast. Oh, I'm ready. I'm full of God. Let me go do. No, you're not ready yet. And we get mad when God takes his time. You like, but, but, but she got out the pot, but you were tougher. I need you to sit a little longer and marinate. Because I got some extra stuff I need to work out of you. You know, because he said we needed a soft, pliable heart. So if you tough, you got to sit there a little longer in that pot to become soft, to be tender. And if you get a bad piece of meat, you got to beat that meat up a little bit. And that's why some of us then got a little bit of some beatings. Just because we just, we've been so tough. God needs softness. He's got to be able to mold us and make us and move us around. We've got to become completely fluid so that I can move where God moves. But, you know, from the beginning of humanity, (laughs) we started creating all different forms of Christianity. From the beginning. When the the apostles started off, you know, it was the introduction to the old Gentiles that kind of made us all, oh, we could do this, we can do that, but what about this, or what about that? Uh Uh-huh. So we started creating stuff, and everybody was professing that they had the right way. So all we did was start fighting with each other. 
And if we ever stopped and really looked at it and heard it, instead of fighting it with defensiveness, we would see we're often saying the same thing. We're very similar in what we believe. Sometimes we're just saying it in a different way. But we become extremely bound by our labels, extremely bound by what the things we want to call them that I can't bend at all for you. You are wrong. I have to be right. And I'll just say for myself, being raised apostolic, growing up, I truly believed that we were the only people that believed there was one God. We were the only ones that believed in Jesus' name. Only ones that believed in speaking in tongues. Nobody else in the Christian world believed in it. That ain't the truth. That's not the truth. There are many other folks that believe in one God and his name is Jesus. Many others that baptize in Jesus' name. Many that believe in, 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 in the spirit, in, in the evidence of speaking in tongues. They just don't call themselves what we call ourselves. But we missed it that we're fighting a label instead of sitting down and listening. Well, where are you at? That's the devil. Because he comes to, to mess it all up. He loves confusion. And if I can get all these people fighting about one or two things, then the whole Christian world is all crazy. Good night. And we don't see it. Mm. So instead of us just banishing folks to hell, because they don't carry our label, why don't we sit down and entreat them? Why don't we just have a conversation? Just a simple conversation. You exchange your beliefs. I exchange mine. Let's see where yours came from. I'm going to tell you where mine came from. It's not that hard to have a conversation. Jesus, help us. And if we were all looking for the truth, the truth would be right there. The if. We got to ask ourselves, what are we looking for? Is it the truth? Or are we just looking to say, oh, I'm right? Hmm. So instead, we have every sect emphasizing one thing more than the other. Sometimes we're fighting so hard to be right that we've missed some serious truths of the Bible. We have exhausted what we think is the truth. Right? Because we all have the truth. But we forgot that God inspired all 66 books. And one of the biggest debates is how do you enter into the kingdom? We didn't all got stuck right there. The debate of how do you get in? Right? Now, I can tell you for me what I believe. You know, I believe in confession. I believe in repentance. I believe in baptism in Jesus' name. I believe in the spirit coming in. I believe that. I can tell you what I believe. I can show you why I believe it. If you have something different, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about it. We don't have to yell and scream. We don't have to be rude and dismissive. We could just talk about it. And I and I, I, I love the spirit of God. I love his graciousness. I love the intimacy 
of having that. I love it as being my comfort. You know, my secret place, the thing that nobody can ever touch or take away. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and it, it makes me very sad that we're fighting about the beauty of the indwelling of the spirit. We shouldn't fight about that. I'm going to tell you why it's so important to me. I'm going to tell you what it does for me, how it guides me, how it picks me up when I'm low, how when I need a tangible touch from God, I can hear him speaking to me. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that kind of security of knowing that my God is, though I can't see him, that when I need him, he speaks so that I can hear him and I know that I'm forever with him. That's what the spirit is. We don't have to fight about it. And I truly do believe that every heart that wants to know the truth will find it. I believe everyone that wants Jesus will find Jesus one day. Every single, all we got to do is want him. He said, if you seek me, you're going to find me. If you're not, I'm coming to the door. So everyone, if we just stopped for a moment in the Christian world, just stop and start seeking Jesus. What if we put everything down? Every difference we have, every way that we see it different, and just say, you know what? Let's just seek Jesus. Speak to us, Lord. Show us. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to not know what I thought I knew. Good night. We know that he's soon to come. We know the end is near. We don't have time to fight. I don't have time to offend you. And if you think you have the steps, just search again. What is it going to hurt for you to search again? What is it going to hurt for you to read the Gospels again? To go over Acts again? How would that hurt you? And then you say, did I do that? Okay, that one I got. Oops, I missed that one. <laughs> Well, let me just go do it. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Thank God he opened my eyes. Thank God he showed me before I died, oh, this step you missed. But you can have it. Oh, my Jesus. Again, it's just us humbling ourselves and asking God what's the right direction. When you go and talk to people, people come, just give them that. Just give them that. This is what I got. And I believe and I will pray with you that if you truly want Jesus, he's going to show you who he is. Nothing to fight about. Mm. And I don't think everyone's conversion will look the same. Now, the steps of obedience are the same, but the conversion is not the same. 
We want everyone to be converted the same way. Each assembly got their own way of conversion. You got to follow that. Well, that's silly. I'm an individual with uniqueness and difference, and I may not come your way. But God's going to show me the way if all I want is him. The key is letting the spirit lead us. Could Jesus please get back in control? Lord, we, we, I want us to be tired. I want us to be tired of being in control. He going to have to wear us out till we're tired. I think we're not tired yet. So he going to just, will you people let me do it? I know how to do this. It was my plan. It was mine. Let me do it. Sit down. Have several seats because you're messing the whole thing up. Goodness. Mm. Okay, so now that I got over that, because I just had to let that out. That's not really what I'm going to teach. I love it. I was taking that stuff. But I really, really, I do believe if we could do this, we would no longer be a slave to stuff. We wouldn't see this whole thing as so cumbersome. This is a beautiful walk. This is freedom. This is good living. So this is what I'm really going to talk about, (laughs) y'all. Okay. So I was thinking again, that's how I started, right, about how we've messed up, right, or where where we've missed it. I won't even say we messed up, but we missed some stuff, you know, and I think in the missing, um, it causes us to not be where we're supposed to be with God. He's looking for some stuff. So it's estimated that the Bible speaks over 300 times, 300, for us to take care of the poor, to feed the hungry, to clothe those without, to take care of the widow and the orphan. He speaks of social justice often. If you look at the Old Testament, that was huge. He destroyed many cities for the lack of justice, for the lack of people not taking care of the poor, for not fighting for the voiceless, tore cities up. And I think we missed a lot of it because we're looking at what sin did they do? Oh, did they, did they sleep with somebody? Oh, was they? The, no. Go back and read it slow without your messed up agenda. Just read the words. Read Amos. I'm going to go over Haggai. He was destroying cities because they did not have justice. He cares about justice. He cares about those that cannot fight for themselves. We were supposed to stand up for each other. Our walk with God has become very self-centered. It is all about self and nothing about service. Even our concentration on sin is a very self-centered thing. It's about me. Oh, did I get that right? Did I not sin? Did I slip? Oh, I ain't done nothing for this. It's all just about me. And we have figured somehow that salvation is just about us not sinning and making it to heaven one day. He laid out a lot more of the stuff for us to get together than that. The sin question wasn't really a thing he even often focused on, on his journey. When he spoke, 
He figured y'all would fall in love with me, all that other stuff we ain't got to talk about no more. I didn't cover the sin. Why are we talking about sin? Fall in love with me, you'll stop sinning. Okay, now let me tell you what we need to do together so that we can convert this world to where I need it to be. So, you know, and then we, oh, save yourself. <laughs> we love that scripture. I'm just going to save myself from this crooked generation. Okay, save yourself. But the good book says that the greatest of the commandments was to love God and then to love others as yourself. We didn't rewrote that scripture to say just love yourself. We didn't cut out the others and just love yourself. How about that? Forget the others. That's a huge, if he says the two, you can forget all the others and it's going to hinge on these two things that you love me and you love others. Wow. Now, how are we going to jump over that? Jesus, did, you sure? That's what you really wanted? Because we don't do that. We don't emphasize it. We don't push it. We read over it. Oh, sister, I love you. My gosh. So what I want to explore is just some scriptures, and then I'm going to let you decide what you want to do with them. I ain't here to force you to do nothing. I'm just going to show you the scriptures. So my desire is to please God and to do what he commanded. He said, if you love me, you're going to keep the commandments. If you're not keeping the commandments, then you don't love the Lord. If A, then B. Come on. We had a little logic. He meant that. If you love me, keep what I say. We didn't mess up already because we ain't loving the neighbor. <laughs> Jesus. Strike one. I mean, good Lord, help us. You know, we cannot pick and choose what we want to follow. We can't say, oh, that's a wonderful scripture. And oh, maybe he wasn't that serious about that one. You know, we can't do that. And I'm not going to exhaust all the scriptures, although I do have a lot of scriptures. I will prepare y'all right now to tell you we're going to read a lot because what he has to say is far more important than what I have to say. I'm just setting it up for him to take over. Um, So we're going to start with the book of Haggai. And in this book, God has sent his prophet Haggai to speak to the people. And though these scriptures he is speaking of really rebuilding the temple, you know, the actual mortar temple, we can transfer the same meanings, right, to us because we are now the temple of God, the body of Christ. So go to Haggai 1, and I'm reading from the message translation. And I'm reading verse 2 through 11. It says, a message from God of the angel armies, the people procrastinate. They say, this isn't the right time to rebuild my temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more, and Haggai spoke it. How is it that it's the right time for you to live in your fine new homes 
while the home, God's temple, is in ruins. And then later, God of the army spoke again, take a good, hard look at your life and think it over. You have spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put layer after layer of clothes on, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket, that's what. That's why God of the angel army said, take a good, hard look at your life and think it over. Then God said, here's what I want you to do. Climb the hills and cut some timber, bring it down and rebuild the temple. Do it just for me. Honor me. You've had great ambitions for yourselves, but nothing has come of it. The little you have brought to my temple, I've blown away. There was nothing to it. And why? Because while you've run around, caught up with taking care of your own houses, my home is in ruins. And that's why, because of your stinginess. And so I've given you a dry summer and a skimpy crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought, drying up fields and hills, withering gardens and orchards, stunning vegetables and fruit. Nothing, not man or woman, not animal or crop, is going to thrive. Why? Because you wouldn't take care of God's house. All your focus has been on building you. Getting, getting, getting. We spending money. What we got to show for it? You put layer and layer on, you're still not happy. You eat and eat and you're still not full. You're running around doing all your things with all your lofty ambitions, but you forgot God. And this is why it comes to nothing. And he says, what you did bring to me, I've blown it away because it meant nothing. Hmm. So if you read the book of Haggai, which is only two chapters, we really should be able to read that, um, you see <laughs> that God kept speaking to them. It's really a short book, and it gives you the dates of when he spoke. So this is really in a, like a year and a half uh, period of time that he spoke to the people. And after the first one, that was the first one I read, they got it together. They got together, they started building, they, and then they fell apart again. They got self-absorbed again. So the God had to come back again and speak to them again. And he said, could you think it over? What are you doing? I'm just asking you to build my house. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to hear God's word and then get it together and then we just discard it again. We do that so often. We hear some good word. We hear God, the anointing sets us. We're on fire. We get it right. And then within a month or two, I got nothing. Like I completely forgot what God gave me. The words he spoke to me. 
the energies that he put in me, it just, where does it go? Why do we keep letting it fizzle away? And I think it's because we haven't had a true change of heart. The heart didn't change. We just did actions. But he wants the heart to be converted. Then we got to jump back in the pot again. And it's boiling. Because he's trying to soften us. Because remember, he's looking at the heart as much as the action. Why are you doing what you do when you do it? Is it really about Jesus? You got to ask yourself that. You got to check yourself often. Because it's easy to fall away. It's easy. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get consumed with this world. We're living in a 24-hour cycle. We go to work, we get up, we do the kid thing, we do this, we do We are on routine all the time. And maybe that's not what he wants for us. Maybe he wants us to be a little more conscious of his presence in our lives. Just remember I'm here. <laughs> May have something to tell you today. If you could at least just say, hey, Jesus. And not in some you know, prayer that you do on habit mode. But you really are sincerely, hey, Jesus, what's up today? We've lost focus on life being about the whole, not just one. He created a body. It wasn't just you. He didn't just save you. He saved a whole body that he's concerned about. The problem is, is that we only do self-care. Our relationship with God is just about self. Mm. Then he says, and it, it, when I read it, I had tears in my eyes when he said, could you just do it for me? Honor me. That has to be where our heart is. Jesus, I'm doing it just for you just to honor you because you asked me to. He don't really want a whole lot of extra. Just do it for me. And do I matter enough for you to do it for me? Do you want to honor me? Haven't I done something for you? Aren't I giving you life? Because the temple being built was not just about one person going into worship. It was for everyone to go into worship. This was a collective, you know, thing that we had to do together so that we could all have a place to meet God. He needs us to get together so we can all meet God. And then what we do is we, we get into, because I am going to get a little bit into our money, right? Who Jesus. <laughs> We don't like that. Uh, we get content with, at least I gave my 10% to my local assembly, and that should be enough, Jesus. That's all I got to give you. Yeah, I can't give no more if I get that. And I believe that it's more than money that he's looking for to build the temple. But 
Money is a part of this. I'm going to show y'all, right? So he spoke that the temple didn't have, it didn't even have full walls back in Haggai, right? It just literally it was a slab there. The, some things were holding up. And y'all out having fine homes. Y'all living life. And y'all coming and you see my temple in ruins. And all you care about is building your own house. Do we see that the body is hurting? Do we see that many people are barely able to walk? But all I care about is me. I'm jogging. I don't care that you just got to slither on the ground. I got mine. He didn't like that. And then he goes in to say, he was talking about building the temple, right? And in chapter 2 is where he goes into this is going to be a new temple. Don't get consumed with trying to make it look like the old temple. Y'all getting, he said, y'all didn't even see the old temple. What are you tripping off of? Like, y'all trying to build those specifications, trying to get that edifice to look like this. You wasn't even there. You don't even know why they did what they did and how they did it. Do what I'm telling you to do. Build this the way I'm going to tell you to do it. It's not about the old way. It's about the way I'm going to give you. And it may look different. He said, I'm going to give it more glory than the old had. But we got to have an ear to hear. Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? If if all I'm doing is following what they did 50 years ago, I may miss something. Because it's not 50 years ago. We got to have a right now vision. That applies to the people right now. Them people, and he said in the thing, them people dead and gone. Why are you holding on to they stuff? They're not even here no more. It worked for them. That's because we lazy. You know, you don't want to re- you change some stuff up. You're like, but that kind of worked. Let me just use that old template and just throw it over here. And I'm going to add some new little graphics to it to make it look new. He don't want that. The building got tore down for a reason. He wants us to build it back up to his specifications now. And he may choose to keep some of the old things, but he's going to add some new things to it. Can you hear what the new things are? Are you that in tune with the spirit to hear what's going on? Mm. So again, he says, think it over. Don't do this haphazardly. I'm telling you, I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at how you're living, what you're doing. Think about it. Does it look the way you think I want it to? Just think about it. Think it over. Don't you love that about Jesus? He's going to tell you, just think it over. I'm going to tell you what to do, but you get to think it over. Because I want you to choose. And I want you to choose willingly what you're going to do. And I suggest y'all go read Haggai. Hmm. It's a good word in there. Very present. So we're going to move to the book of Corinthians now. But I'm going to give you a little background about Corinthians. I found this very interesting, right? It made Corinthians make so much more sense. Like, I had never really went and read the history, history of it, and all of that. Really good stuff. We should do that more often with the books. I was so excited. I was like, this makes everything 
make sense instead of just reading it. Cause you know, it's like you're talk. They're really talking to people about stuff that's really going on in their lives right then and there. And sometimes we try to apply it to us directly and it doesn't fit. But if you can understand what was going on, it makes it more clear. So I'm gonna give you a little bit. Now this is a little brief history. I wasn't trying to write a book. I'm just gonna give you a little brief history. Okay. So Corinth was a very prosperous, large city. It was close to the sea, so it was easier to barter and sell. So it was, it was like the third biggest city, right? But Corinth was a new city because they had just rebuilt it from when the Romans had destroyed it. So it was a lot of new people coming in, people that hadn't been there before because they were like, man, we could go there and thrive. We can make our own wealth again. It'll be under our terms. It was no old money there. It was just new money that was being made. So it wasn't, didn't have an aristocrat system of the old people in charge and it trickled down. They really were creating a city on their own. When Paul got there, it had only been like maybe in existence for like 100 years. So it was still fairly new, you know, of what it was doing. And you know how folks act with new money. You get new money. is just a totally different person than a person that got old money. You see a total difference, right? New money, we crazy with new money. We just buying stuff up. We getting stuff we don't even need. We spending money on stuff that's just stupid. Yeah. And then it was also comprised of a lot of different ethnicities. So you had the Jews, the Greeks. You had slaves still there. You had non-slaves. So all of these people were, like, living together trying to create a system. Different religions, because then you had all these people bringing their old stuff, their old family stuff, their old beliefs and traditions, and then they were trying to mix it in with the new religion. This was the reason why you see in the beginning Paul was saying he was a little afraid to go, because this was embarking on something really different. Like when you had the Jewish system, everyone thought the same. The structure was there. The way we believed, the way we saw the family, the way we saw God, it was very set up. This was like a whole, you know, mishmash bag of uh, something that, oh, my Lord, I got to go minister to these people. What am I going to do and say? And these folks is crazy. And then Old Corinth was notorious for extreme sexual sins. Very raunchy, folks, okay? New Corinth was not as raunchy as Old Corinth. They got rid of some of that stuff. Maybe they was like, you folks, is nasty. But whatever reason... I'm adding that in. That wasn't in the book. <laughs> so it was estimated that was about 200 to 300 people that chose Christianity, right? Which is not, it's a big group, but not a huge group because that's one of the biggest cities there were. And then remember, everybody was in their own various house churches. So the little letters passed around, woo, woo, woo. Okay. So some of the Christians were really well off. Some of them weren't. They were trying to create a system where we had equality. Okay? Um, a huge amount of the beliefs that Corinth had, the Christians, okay, we're talking about just the Christians, you had a lot of them trying to pull in their old stuff, mixing it with the Christianity that they had found, and saying, this stuff is okay. So Paul had to go in almost in a correction mode of, listen, folks, 
Now, that ain't what Jesus died for. <laughs> Y'all didn't got to look carried away. And they got a little angry with him to where they then they tried to, you know, bring him up to the courts that whatever guy that was in charge, you know, threw it out. And Paul ended up leaving. Look, I threw my hands up. Y'all don't want to hear me. I'm gone. Titus jumps in, tries to work it all out, contacts Paul, however he contacted him, and told him that they listened. They softened up. Come on back. So he comes back. That's how you get 2 Corinthians, the, when he wrote it again. And he visited, I think they say like three times or something like that, where he came back and forth to try to get them together. So think of Corinth as kind of like a Los Angeles, a New York, right? Coming up, modern, doing their thing. And you know how crazy we are out here. So, uh, <laughs> so that's like a little background on that, okay? <laughs> so when we read this, it makes a little bit more sense. Wasn't that interesting? Okay. So I want to start with 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and then we're going to go to chapter 13, um, 1 through 3. And in here, he's establishing the order of us being the church. So he had to set that up because you had a lot of fighting, a lot of people trying to grab their place and what they're supposed to do. So he says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, and those who speak in unknown languages. Are all apostles or all prophets or all teachers, do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And like us, we also get caught up in roles. We get caught up in what we're going to say our gift is and what we're going to do. And this is esteemed higher than this one. Oh, you got to be this and I'm only this and all that stupid stuff, right? Just, you're a gift. You yourself are a gift. Be happy that you're a gift. We don't have to rank them. We don't got to compare. Just be your gift. Jeez. So the next scripture tells us what the greatest gift is. And then he goes in, if I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clangling cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. That's deep. I mean, we read that. How many times have we read this? I mean, think about if you could say to that tree, get up and move across. We would be like, ooh, that's some powerful stuff you got right there. If I could just touch you and you were just amazingly healed. If I knew all, if I knew all of God's secret plans and had all his knowledge, but I didn't have love, I would have nothing. And we happy because we speaking in tongues? 
I don't have love, I've, what do I have? It means nothing to God. The greatest gift, greater than being an apostle, greater than healing, greater than teaching, greater than prophesying, is love. And we all have to have love. Because remember the two commandments, have to. So we see that love must be of the greatest importance in our Christian walk and service. Verse 3, I'm using that because I want, when we go through this, of giving to the poor. If it's not because of love, it means nothing. If your heart is not to honor God, it means nothing. So these scriptures only mean something if you're doing it from love. You can't just do it. So you got people down there doing a whole lot of stuff, but if it's not because of love, it's nothing to God. Jeez. If I burn my body, good Lord, Lord, I didn't say I didn't got burned and it didn't mean nothing. That's deep. If I just kill myself because I think that's a good thing to do, but I don't have love. Yeah, you know, people do that. Crazy. Oh, my God. Okay. So we must confess when we are not in love and ask God to give us godly love. That is essential. It's not just you figuring out your own little serpy love. It's about godly love. Do you know what it is to love like God? That's what he's requiring. You can't create your own definition. Now, he did tell us down, you read down what love is, which is a whole big pill to swallow. It's a big pill to swallow. We're honest. But if that's his definition of what love is, then we've got we've to come up to that. So let's move to 2 Corinthians 6. And here we see Paul, now remember this is him coming back again um, for his second letter. Paul further showing that we are the temple of God and not for us to defile it with anything or anyone, which cross references back to Haggai as us building the temple of God, right? 2 Corinthians 6 and 16 it says, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. We have so many idols. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We have so, we worship so much stuff. Like, I don't even know if God sometimes in the first five. We worship a lot of stuff. We got to be honest that we've put just a bunch of graven images in front of us that we bow down to. It's hard for us to admit that. Because I think we really want to do the Jesus thing. We just keep messing up. You know, we just keep messing up. But he says, you can't have union between God and the idols. 
He's not going to join the idols. No matter how much we beg him to. He's just not going to join them. And then chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Honor me. Do it just for me. That's the fearing God. Just do it for me. And then look at the humbleness of you saying that. God shows a lot of vulnerability, which pricks my heart all the time when I see that vulnerability of him because really he doesn't have to be vulnerable. He doesn't really have to show his sensitivities. He's God. If he wanted to just be a brute, he could choose to be that because he's God. But that's like you going to somebody and saying, this is what I need you to do. Could you just do it for me? Just to honor me because you love me? That's putting yourself just out there. And then think it over. I'm going to walk away. If you choose, it's your choice. But I'm, I love that Jesus. He just, oh. <laughs> He's so amazing the way he does it. If we could just see the sensitivity of him. Oh, he's so beautiful. So 2 Corinthians 8 is going to give us a glimpse into the equality that he desired for the church body. The truth is that when our physical needs are lacking greatly, it's hard to concentrate on anything else. We need stuff to survive. When you're at a place of your survival is in, in, in jeopardy. Kind of hard to get really spiritual, especially in America. Now, people in other countries, they, they can do it. You know, you see them, it's amazing. You watch, like, documentaries of people in India, Asia, dirt-busted poor, and just is okay. You can take them, Jesus, and they would just accept Jesus, not believe he, he did them wrong. Right. Don't believe that he, they got the short end of the stick. Us? No, not us. <laughs> we charging God all day long because, you know, we in the used car instead of the new one. Because we in the one bedroom instead of the three bedroom. Because my clothes is from Ross instead of from Saks. God don't love me. God ain't take. Well, I ain't more blessed. I just, with that G. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us. We've got to get out of the American Jesus. Jesus is global. America didn't messed us up. This little land of plenty. This little land of plenty that messed us up. Really? It didn't screwed up our whole view of God. Absolutely. That we think God didn't let us go. Jesus. Are you not clothed and fed and taken care of? Yes. My Lord. Mm. This is why this part's going to be hard for us. Because <laughs> look, after I went through it, I was like, whoo! Oh, forgive me, Jesus. Oh. 
Okay. So going back to that, we've got to be aware of that. This is the reason why God needed us to take care of each other because we need to be on the same playing field. He wanted us to have some equality amongst ourselves. So in um, 1 Corinthians, clearly they had came up with a solution in order to spread the wealth. And he's coming back in this, and he's telling them to reconsider what you said you were going to do. Get back online. And then he mentions in the beginning of that uh, how the churches in Macedonia, though they were the poor churches, were eager to help. They even gave more than they thought that they could ever afford. But they wanted, they wanted everyone to have. They wanted everyone to be a part of it. Um, if you look at statistically, people that are poor are better givers than people that are wealthy, which is crazy, right? But the poor, and that's why Jesus said when the woman that gave the two pennies, she gave more than the rest of the people because she gave all she had. Though you might have dropped a million dollars, you had a billion. Your million didn't mean that much. But when all I have is $10 and I'm willing to give you five, that's the heart of God. So when you see yourself doing something, make sure you're doing it. Not because you're giving somebody a little scrap, but you really are trying to give to them. So 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. It says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. Jump down to verse 11, the second part. It says, so give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean you giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you're in need. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gather a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Equality. It shouldn't be all of this. You shouldn't be sitting next to somebody that you're able to go have a steak dinner and all they can get is a bag of top ramen. And you never say, won't you come with me? If you hear of someone in some distress, we shouldn't just... Because we're going to get to that scripture. That is not the way of God. 
And we are very comfortable living in this stratosphere of all these ups and downs. Do you know the person who is, is, is food insecure? That's sitting maybe right next to you? Have you reached out to see? Have you seen someone looking pretty tattered? And have you thought, you know what, I got an extra dress? Have you seen somebody, kids looking like they, they shoes all beat up? Let me pass them a, a, a gift card. This is what God wants. You're supposed to care. You're supposed to look and see what are the needs of others. And you don't have to be embarrassed if you are the one who is in need. Because there's people that want to help you. Our problem is that we've shamed people for not having stuff. We've shamed the poor. Wow, you sure can get yourself up. Please some bootstraps. I don't have no boots. <laughs> How about you give me a pair of boots? Maybe I can pull myself up. Right. Okay. So in the book of James. His aim was to straighten out some things about how to live as a Christian. There were some false doctrines going around saying that all you needed was to have faith to be right. Right? Just faith. Just live by faith. Y'all going to be fine. I got faith. Faith, 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 faith. We didn't talk so much about faith. Like all you need is faith. You need more than faith. Chapter 2. Verse 14, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department and I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand and glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe your complacency sitting back as if you've done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what, <laughs> but what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Hmm. So I was reading up on this and this author, Daniel Wallace, he says in verses 14 through 17, he says, James is saying that one whose faith has no works is one whose faith is not sufficient to save him from hell. In verse 18, he is saying that it is impossible to divorce faith and works. He then argues that demons divorce the two and that they only do one, they believe. You know, we all happy we believe in one God. Guess what? So does the devil. Okay. Pat yourself on the back. 
You got the same belief as Satan. How special are you? You got the same belief as Satan. Because you know it's one God? Good night. Wow. Dang, James. You, you hit hard right there. as all the demons that are raging that God is one. one. Um, (laughs) He says they believe yet their home is hell in eternity. So belief alone ain't doing you nothing. You and the devil and the demons get to be in hell together believing in one God. Here he defies what unsaving faith is. Faith which cannot save. It is one which is doctrinally correct. You have the same belief as Satan. But one which is there is no personal relationship or any works. In essence, a dead faith is surely the same as a faith which was never alive. Think that over. So the next verses define Abraham's faith and how it produced works. Even rabbi, the prostitute, have faith and works, right? We are spiritually and morally obligated to do works. Your faith and beliefs alone do nothing for the kingdom of God. And let's not try to count baptism as your work. And that you got down on the ground and tarry. That's not your work. He wanted more. So the church that James was speaking to had a group that was wealthy, and then they had a group that was not. The same with us today. Same, you know, work. We're obligated to take care of people. It is a show of faith. We cannot just pray for folks. We've got to work. So I'm going to jump back to the Old Testament, just in case y'all think I don't know what I'm talking about up here and give you seven proverbs that speak of taking care of the poor and the voiceless. Because I just want to add a little more evidence because I'm giving it to you and y'all going to do what you want with it. And God is serious about this subject. 300 times? So Proverbs 14 and 31. You insult your maker when you exploit the powerless, when you're kind to the poor, you honor God. Proverbs 19 and 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Proverbs 21 and 13. If you stop your ears to the cries of the poor, your cries will go unheard and unanswered. Maybe that's why we ain't getting heard. Maybe this is why we ain't got some answers. Because we praying so much and looking out for ourselves, I don't hear you. Proverbs 22 and 9. Generous hands are blessed hands because they give bread to the poor. Proverbs 28 and 27. If you give to the poor, your needs will be supplied. 
but a curse upon those who close their eyes to poverty. A curse. Proverbs 29 and 7. The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. So if we're not taking care of the poor, we wicked. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. I don't know how we make this uh, abstract. I don't know how we can flip these verses and make them non-tangible because it sounds pretty concrete to me. I'm sure somebody can spin it, but take your chances. <laughs> so I'm going to close out with Jesus because he's so powerful. Let's just hear what he had to say. Luke 11, 39 through 44. And I've read this one so many times and just missed this piece. Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean outside the cup in the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. You know, you don't take care of the poor, you're wicked. Proverbs. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe every, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplace. Yes, what sorrow awaits you? For you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. He sees us corrupt on the inside if we're not giving to the poor. We are not clean. And we've always attributed the cleaning to getting the sin out of our life. Clean it up, figure it out. He said, clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you're clean all over. Is that serious? Wow. You give your tenth. Happy for you? I got something greater for you to do. Take care of each other. Now, how we miss that? I've read that so many times, and I never saw that. I've never saw that. We are Pharisees. Lord, have mercy. Forgive me, Jesus. Sitting up talking. Everybody calling us Christian. They're walking in the marketplace all day, all full of Jesus, and, and not knowing we ain't nothing but a corpse that's dead inside and just as nasty. 
Lord, I know he has to look at us and just shake his head and say, my children. Luke 12. I'm going to let Jesus talk again. 29 through 34. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. He is literal about this. Where we use our monies is where our treasures lie. Like Paul said in Corinthians, no one is saying just give everything you have so you ain't got a place to live. But you should be giving to the poor. If you have surplus, that means you got something that you can give. And most of us have a little surplus. And again, like I said, if you're on the other end of not having surplus, you need to let someone know so we can give to you. But we also have to keep our eyes open. You have to keep your ears open. People tell you what's going on in a roundabout way. I've had folks talk to me and tell me what's going on. Okay, well, let me, you didn't ask me, but here. I mean, they, I don't want you to not have food. Every human should eat. People should not not eat. That's ridiculous. And the fact that we have people in our churches sitting next to us that are food insecure is sickening. The fact that kids don't have to eat every day is insane. How can we say we're living for God when we let this go on? Shame on us. Luke 14, he had a little more to say. I guess it's important. 12 through 14. He turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Again, that's a literal scripture. I don't know how. We didn't read this. I mean, is it right? I mean, are we saying it? What's he saying? I, I want to hear somebody's flip on this. All of our rewards are right here. We have not built treasures in heaven. reward was that you invited me back over to your house. There's the pat on your back. Are you happy? 
and we talking about having crowns and head. I'm just gonna toss the crowns back. You ain't got a crown. Help us, Lord, Jesus. Oh God, help us. What have we put in the purse in heaven? Is anything in our purse? Do we at least have a coin purse? <laughs> <laughs> I, we need to we got to do better yes. we got to do better so one more he wasn't finished okay Mark 10 17 through 27 look that's the last one y'all that's the last one hmm. he says as he went out into the streets a man came run, running excuse me up to him greeted him with great reference and asked, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. Give him a little insight that he was God. You know, the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your mother and your father. And he said, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. That's us. Jesus, I didn't done it all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him and loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. That man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing, but Jesus kept on you can't imagine how difficult. I say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into the God's kingdom. That set the disciples back on their heels. Then who has any chance at all, they asked. Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. Will we let God do it? Or are we walking away with our head down saying, I can't give up nothing? It's a lot. This is where the rubber hits the road. I don't believe with this scriptural evidence we can gloss over the mandatory obligation we have to the poor and needy to those who have no voice and can't speak for themselves. We as Christians need to stand up and become what Christ died for us to become. In biblical times, Christians didn't label themselves as Christians. The people started calling them that because they acted like Christ. We are so eager to boast on our title, but we don't possess the works. Is someone else calling you a Christian or is it just you calling yourself that? Forgive us, Jesus, for disgracing you. We have been disgracing God. 
This is the practical Christianity he was looking for. Tangible, hands-on, do the thing. If we think about when Jesus was here, his stuff showed. It wasn't just a faithy thing. He actually healed you. You actually got up. You actually rose from the dead. There were works involved in his ministry. Where are our works? And we have because we pray every night. And we come to church. You got no works. You have no faith. We got to get off the high grounds of the theological rants and start doing stuff. Hmm. This is going to be hard. This is going to be hard for a lot of people. Because we are very tied to our possessions. We live in a, in a world that tells us that our possessions make us. Our possessions give us value. How do we flip that? How do I disregard what society has told me that makes me something and take on the view that God has? It's a change in mind. It's a transformation of the mind. It is going to be a transformation of the heart. To have a heart of service. To have a heart of giving. I really pray that God gives us a soft heart. That I, my heart breaks for what breaks your heart. That you're looking at the plight of man and your heart is broken, but you saved us to go heal them, and we're just sitting on our butts. They're hurting. Okay, I didn't give you the spirit. Go heal them. Take care of them. What are you sitting there for? It's not enough to pray. Oh, let's just get them saved. No, feed them. Clothe them. Scream for them. Fight for their justice. Stop being so concerned with your life. Are you going to lose your life to gain his? Are you like your life so much that is more valuable than the life of God's? And the crazy thing is that we don't consider ourselves to be rich. We don't see ourselves as rich. God says if you have a surplus, then you're rich. Go give it. We're like, oh, he ain't talking. See, that's when we read that scripture. It's hard for the rich man to make it in. Oh, them millionaires, it's going to be hard for them to make it in. Us little folks down here, we, we, we got it. We going to get. No, he talking about you. Worldwide, you know, the average, I think the average amount people make is $2 a day. $2 a day. And you screaming, and not saying you shouldn't, but you screaming over your $10 an hour. God didn't just save America. He's a global guy. Get a global vision. And as, as much wealth we have here in America, there's a huge amount of poverty we don't look at. There's a huge amount of people that go without. That are mean busted broke. 
And we've got the nerve to spit on them, to crush them. That is not the way of God. It's going to be hard for us to enter into the kingdom. Remember, he said, how do I get eternal life? The man said, I didn't do all that stuff. But I need you to sell your stuff. How do you I get in? You sell your stuff. I'm happy that you're honoring your mom. I'm glad you ain't killed nobody, and I'm glad you ain't committed adultery. Go sell your stuff. And one version says Jesus watched him go. Because he's not going to force you. He just says, will you do it for me? Will you honor me? Don't make him have to look at you with love as you walk away. Don't break his heart like that. And I pray that God grants us the understanding and the softness of heart to comprehend and take this in and not gloss it over and not be like the people in Haggai that he got to come back again to you because he didn't planted this seed in you. Sorry, y'all came. And we can acknowledge that this is hard. I can say, Jesus, this is hard for me. I'm going to need you to help me with this. Give me belief on this. Help me understand that this is a matter of me getting into the kingdom. James said it. Jesus said it. The fact that Jesus says it's about enough. Stop boasting on your belief that you got the same one as the devil. You may be in hell with them. Now, who ever, didn't nobody ever tell us that? Man. Because it's hard to believe that the kingdom won't be ours if we don't follow this. That's Jesus help our unbelief. Yes. Jesus help my unbelief. Yes. Help me to see it as missing the mark. Wow. Wow. That, this, that this is a heaven or hell issue. Give us clarity. Give us vision, God. We are asking this of you because we don't have it. And I'll end with God's words are in Haggai. Think it over.